Good morning. On behalf of the uh, search committee, I just wanted to share a bit of our progress with you this morning. As you remember, we started uh, with some surveys a few months ago, and that was part of the process of gathering information about our congregation, what we want, what we need, what God feels that we need. And after that, we branched out and humbly met with uh, church leaders and preachers and pastors of other bodies and asked them to tell us how they saw God moving among their people. And finally, we went out in the, into the community and we met with uh, community leaders at large to gain a better understanding of how uh, we can meet the needs of the people around us, what hurts there are in Lamar County, and how we can better serve our neighbor. With that information, uh, we, we felt confident and competent in looking for a man that not only can deliver a dynamic message from the gospel on Sunday morning, but someone who is spiritually mature enough to help us grow spiritually as well, and someone who has the talent and the desire to interact with other church leaders, with other preachers, and with the community as a whole so that we can better love our neighbor. Currently, we're further down the road, and a few weeks ago, we started getting names of candidates. And these names were submitted from people within our own congregation. They were submitted uh, by our elders. Some names were given to us by people who are uh, well-connected with other churches, people that Grady and his team work with on a regular basis. And this is a quality list of individuals. And pretty quickly, we were able to narrow it down to about 12 at this point. <clears throat> And now it's getting more personal. We're in the process of building relationships with these people. We're getting to know them, where they are in their, in their ministry. This isn't your typical interview process. It's not sterile and it's not regimented. We're getting to know the person and their family and whether or not this is a good fit for them as it is for us. And we continue to pray and we ask that you join us in praying that God gives us the discernment so that we may gravitate toward the one man who he feels best fits this congregation. We're very excited at this point. We're finally getting to meet people, and we just ask that you continue to think of us and pray for us in, the, in this process. Most importantly, pray that God will reveal to us uh, the direction that we should lean. This morning, uh, we just want to quickly share a video that we feel illustrates the information gathered and uh, how it was gathered and how we came about gaining the perspective that we have at this point so that maybe you can better understand the position from which we're working from in this process. Uh, when it's over, uh, Grady will get up and, and we'll move on to the service. But after service, if you have any questions that you feel weren't answered or anything that you're concerned about, we'll have two tables in the back with people who are well-informed and happy to meet with you. Um, but we feel that this will give you a better idea of where we are and where we've been so that you know where we're going in this process. Please enjoy. We've been on a journey for about five years now that started with the vision, uh, and now it's continued on uh, with looking to take the next step with a pulpit minister. We figured the best way to do that was to understand who we are first, um, what we're looking for, what we need, but not only what we need within this body, but also looking outward to the community and finding out what true needs there are out there.
The positives about Paris are the people. I have never been in a community that is more caring about the community, about the people who live here. It's a small town. I like the small town things are a lot slower here. People are, for the most part, very friendly. And the natural environment is really beautiful. I like the small town type living. You know, it's a really small city. So I, I like the small, tight-knit community. It's a diverse community, though, to be so small. It's, it's very diverse. I see a strong sense of neighbor helping neighbor. I see a strong sense of people who, if they know there's a need, step forward to help out with that need. I love how generous Paris is. I love how everybody knows everybody in Paris. I love how involved people are in Paris and um, just always want to help, always want to join a board or join a community service project. It's just a, it's just a wonderful place. With every community, there are, there are upsides to a community and downsides to a community. Unfortunately, uh, Paris has got a real low cost of living. And when you have a real low cost of living, you don't have a whole lot of jobs that pay well. So you have people who live in very lean conditions. Homelessness in Lamar County is not like you would see in our big cities. It's not the individuals living under the bridges. It's families that are doubled, tripled, quadrupled up, living in substandard housing. So it's housing houses that really should be condemned, but because we have such a tremendous housing shortage, we are, our hands are tied. We have a lot of need because there is a lot of um, drug and alcohol abuse in the region. There's, there's hardly one of our societal problems here in Paris that we can't go back and find out there's some type of substance abuse involved. We have the same issues and the same problems that any larger community has, but one of the great things about Paris is that we do all work together and we do take care of the people who are here. We we know that there are our friends, our neighbors, there are people we go to church with, there are people we work with, and we just take care of each other here. Everybody knows everyone, you know, and everyone knows the family backgrounds. And so we, we generally, uh, anytime there, there's support needed, the community, because it's, you know, everyone knows everyone so well that they step, to the, step up to the plate to help. We have people who need help, and the best thing is that we've got a lot of people that will be more than willing to help. We have so many various agencies that are out there trying to help people, whether it's the downtown food pantry wanting to feed people or the New Hope Shelter wanting to give shelter to the homeless people. We have over 30 agencies here in town, which is just a lot for a place our size. That's one of the positives of our town is that people are always ready to jump in, roll up their sleeves and really help and really make a difference. We have a lot of people who have lost hope. We have a lot of people who have lost their way and uh, that's where I think the churches have got the biggest responsibility. But we've got to get something to get people back into relieving the Lord. And uh, that's where I think the churches do an excellent job already. They're part of that support system I was already talking about. 
but churches have got to get back more into the community to help people out. The one common influence in any culture is a pastor. He has influence, it doesn't matter what the culture is, people respect pastors. I think our pastors need to realize their strength and, and you know the power through Christ and use it in our communities. There's just a great opportunity there. Police can't do it. Uh, I don't see the congressmen do it, you know. I see pastors doing it because in my opinion, the pastor is the highest office in the land. Not the president, not senators, not judges, pastors. A lot of the work that has been done from the community assessment to the congregational assessment to the kingdom assessment, it's helped, I guess, give us a good picture of not only who we are, but what Paris is uh, and what the needs are within Paris. We're looking for more than just a man to stand up for an hour or two every week. We're looking for someone of impeccable integrity who is spirit-led, somebody who has been across a few bridges, has some life experiences that will help enable him to be a better leader here. And that is the key. A lot of people can preach, but we're looking for a leader. I don't know if you realize it or not, but making that kind of video and doing that kind of work is incredibly labor intensive. And that, that was just one of the best videos I've seen in all the work with IMP that we've done in the last 10 years. And the announcement that was made was one of the clearest I've heard by Cliff and this team. You are a really, really blessed people for all, you, you just need to thank them at this time for all the work they've done. Can we do that? I can really make this message this morning um, very simple. Watch the video. I mean, watch the video. Why? Because it's the essence of what I uh, was going to say this morning is love God, love neighbor. If you have a bulletin with you, if I can find mine, on the front page is something I wrote and sent in to be published. That's where I would like to begin today. You can lean over and we're going to read this together. Then we'll get in the Gospel of Mark and I'll get you out to lunch on a beautiful day today. Read this with me, this saying that's below that I wrote to encapsulate our struggle as well as our blessing. Sometimes us church folks remember, read with me, we remember the conversation we refuse to have. We remember being wronged. We remember the one person we won't forgive. We remember the fear that controls us. We remember the conflict we choose to avoid. Sometimes us church folks forget. We forget how often Jesus said, do not fear to his disciples. We forget how often Jesus showed love to everyone. We forget how often Jesus was in conflict with religious folk. We forget how often Jesus was frustrated with a lack of faith in his disciples. We forget that loving God and neighbor is number one and number, 20, number two, always, 24-7, 365. Us church folks, 
Will we follow Jesus? Let's pray. Father, the world is in desperate need of a people with passion, with purpose, and with your power in us. We pray, God, that this church will be more than it's been and all that we could imagine through the power of your Holy Spirit. Give this church wisdom in not just finding a preacher, but in walking alongside this community as the body of Christ, as she's done in the past and as she looks forward into the future. Thank you for the work of the search team. Thank you for the work and the prayers of the church. Thank you for the work and the the shepherding of the elders to allow this and encourage this journey with this church. And God, we pray that when we do remember, we remember to love you and love neighbor. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12 for a few minutes. Mark chapter 12. I want to finish today in the Gospel of Mark. We haven't dealt with every text since about the 1st of December but I want to conclude that, and next week I'll be with you again as we begin to move to t- start talking very specifically and very concretely about what it means to have a preacher and what it means how to treat a preacher and how a preacher should treat you. And so, as I like to say, that oftentimes what churches need is not just the young guy with energy, although that's incredibly important, but they need somebody that has lines on their face and scars in their hearts. Does that make sense? That's my way of saying you want somebody that's lived enough life and dealt, had enough scars in their heart that can really speak powerfully about forgiveness. You want somebody that has a line on their face to know that they've listened and agonized over people's lives and their brokenness and their lostness and how much they need God. You want somebody that has lines on their face and scars in their heart is my way of saying you want a man of God to lead you in the word of God, the witness of Christ and the power of the spirit. Amen to that. Is he the totality of the church? Absolutely not. Can he do it alone? Absolutely not. Is he the focus? Absolutely not. Now in the video you heard this phrase, pastor. Now in the church of Christ, We don't usually call John and myself pastors. We say, well, he's the minister, the pastors are the elders. The word pastor comes from the Greek word poimen, which means to feed and care. I've done pastoral work of feeding and caring for people for years. I don't get hung up when somebody in the community calls me pastor because I pastor. Am I the official, the pastor? No, I understand that. But the word is a biblical word, it's a good word, so don't get hung up and feel like you gotta correct people. They mean that in the highest sense of someone who leads spiritually and cares for people. We also have other pastors, supposed to be elder, called elders. There's people in this church that have the gift of pastoring. You're really a person who feeds and cares for people. You feed them spiritually, you care for them, you reach out to them, you check on them when they have the flu, you take food to them, you read scripture to them, you send them cards. There are people that have a strong gift of pastoring in this church. So being a pastor doesn't mean, oh, he's the top guy in the church. It really means you're the servant who cares and feeds people. 
And so don't get hung up when people use the word in the community. Well, who's your new pastor? Just say, well, we have a man among other pastors that do that kind of work, but our preacher, our minister, you can reframe it that way if you want, but, but get over it. Get over it. Just get over it because I do that work. John's done that work for years. There are women in this church who have fed and cared for people. So I just had to say a word about that because, one, I know us, and I said, oh, no, we're not hiring a pastor. We're hiring. Get over it. I'm leaving today. I'll be back next week. You can talk about me. You won't be the first. You won't be the last. Let's be biblical. How about that? Let's, let's work, look at the spirit and the intent of what God wants for his people. We need more pastors. We need more people caring and feeding and loving and serving the grace of God in all its fullness. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We'll go right in the middle of, of 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing what, that he answered them well, he answered him. Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, this first, the first is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all your heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor's self, this is much more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared any, ask him any more questions. Now from Mark chapter 11, verse 1, to Mark chapter 13, verse 3, is a series of a cycle of conflict stories as Jesus is beginning to move closer and closer to Jerusalem. Now he's in in Bethany one night, then he comes to Jerusalem. His disciples go out of town, then they come back in with him from eleven one following. So he's in and out of Jerusalem, and he does several things. I mean, he curses a fig tree, and then he gives meaning to it. He tell, tells a very very strong parable, and they realize the lead, religious leaders the parable is about this man who killed the, the son of an owner, of, of a landowner, and he was supposed to take care of the property, and they realize it's about them. And so they, they're trying to kill him. They're trying to arrest him. All from 11.1 to 13.3, there's this little, every time you turn around, somebody's trying to take Jesus out, and guess who it is? It's the good religious folks of the day. Not all of them, but Mark wants you to see something. Mark wants you to see, if you're following Jesus, there will be conflict. Let me, let me say it real slow because none of us like conflict. None of us wakes up every morning and says, you know, I'd like five people to have conflict with today and I'd feel like I've had a successful day. Who does that? You know, you don't want, well, I hope my wife and I have a conflict today so we can kiss and make up. Now, that's not too bad. But the reality is this. Nobody wakes up wanting conflict, but if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, and you're going to try to do what he asks you to do, there is going to be conflict inside church as well as outside church. And the more you suppress the conflict and act like it's not there, the less integrity you have 
as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Conflict is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for clarifying meaning. It's an opportunity for building relationship. It's an opportunity to learn to endure with one another. But you're going to have conflict. So there's, thir- there's from 13.1 through 13.3. Let's just look. Let me give you, look at your headings in your Bible. He enters Jerusalem. He curses the fig tree. He cleanses the temple. His authority is questioned. He tells the parable of the wicked tenants. They question him about paying taxes. They question him about resurrection. Now one of the things about reading the Gospel of Mark is we tend to miss so many social, and let me say the bad word, political dynamics of what killed Jesus. You say, well, we don't come to church for politics. Well, if Jesus was teaching, he gets right in the middle of the political and social dynamics of his day. The paying taxes to Caesar, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to trap him. It's a political move because he's going to get hurt either way he goes on the paying taxes to Caesar. The thing about whose wife will she be in the resurrection, the person that was married seven times, is not, they're not really interested in resurrection. That's about economics because women were property. See, their motivations, their motivations is, is not about this pure motivations that oftentimes people see. And we don't see a lot of the social and political nuances going on. Somebody says, what really killed Jesus? Politics. Politics of Rome, politics of his own people. What really killed Jesus? Jesus was subversive in his teaching, and that's why he was a threat to everybody in the Roman Empire and everybody that, that was very religious that wanted things to be just the way they wanted them to be. There is a social and political dynamic to the teaching of Jesus that doesn't fit what my brethren have always said, we don't want any politics at church. Then you don't want Jesus because Jesus jumped into the politics all the time of how the religion of this day oppressed people and manipulated people and reinforced what they wanted rather than the will of God. Now let me show you what I mean. What's it like to grow up hearing something all your life and knowing something, but somehow you miss the point? Go to, go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third book in the Bible, and let me just show you what it's like to grow up hearing something all your life and you miss the point. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Go to Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Go to chapter 19 of Leviticus. Starting in verse 9. This is what the audience of Jesus grew up with and knew and what the man answered. What's behind love God and love neighbor? You say, man, you... He was so proud that, that Jesus gave the right answer. And keep in mind, Jesus says you're not far from the kingdom. Is that positive or negative? Is that a good thing or a bad thing with this guy? Luke chapter, I mean Luke, Leviticus 19, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the, help me church, poor and the stranger, the alien 
I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of the Lord your God. You shall not defraud your neighbor, you shall not steal, you shall not keep yourself the, for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God, I am the Lord. Verse 15, you shall not render an unjust judgment, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any one of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Any doubt what those things mean? Any doubt? Anybody going, well, I don't know. That's pretty unclear to me. I just don't know if I understand that. Well, see me afterwards, okay? And Jared and John and I will help you understand what these mean. You don't need us. You get it, don't you? These people grew up with that all their life. They understood not just this pie in the sky, love God, love neighbor. They knew that if you love God, you were going to treat people this way. That there is no love of God apart from loving neighbor. It gets down to the ethics of where the rubber meets the road. It's where the boots hit the ground. It's where we really deal with things. These people have grown up with it all their life. And you think, well, this guy answered well and Jesus said he wasn't far from the kingdom. That must be a good thing. Look at chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. This guy was a scribe dealt with the finer things of the law. As he taught, he said, this is Jesus, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom. I've, I've always thought, that's good. He's on this journey. He's wanting to follow. And Jesus turns right around and denounces the scribes. Because right orthodoxy, having the right understanding of something without the right behavior of what God demands is not what Jesus is after. It's all through the entire Bible. This guy even gives... He, he knows that he knows Hosea chapter 6. I desire mercy, not burnt offerings. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He probably knows Micah chapter 6 verse 8. What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? All the way from Genesis to Revelation, all the way through, every once in a while you get some prophet, somebody saying, a person of wisdom saying, this is what God wants. You live this way, live this way, live this way. Oh, make sure you understand. This is what God, he's constantly having to remind his people, love God, love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. They knew this all their life. What is it to have been raised with knowing something all your life, but refusing to do it? What do you call that? A lack of faith and hypocrisy. This is why the video that you watched this morning 
until you began thinking more fully about the issues in this community and where the boots are going to land on the ground in this community and increase so much more of what you are doing historically. And the vision's got to be bigger than let's just be a good church of Christ in Paris, Texas. That's not a big enough vision. That's let's just be good church of Christ people. Oh, no, no, no. That's like saying be good Rotarians or good Lions Club. You know, come on, folks. The vision God gives you is to flesh out, love God and love neighbor with everything you have. Here's four words. Beliefs, attitudes, habits, pass onable habits. Let me say them again. Think of a four quadrants. Draw your box, but four quadrants. Belief. If you believe that, it's, that the essence of Christian faith is to love God with everything you've got, if you believe that, what are the attitudes that go with that that show up in your life? If you believe love neighbor is that essential and you're convinced that's what God wants, what, is it, what attitudes reflects that you love neighbor? Now move to the third quadrant over here. Here's first quadrant, belief, whatever belief you have, translates to attitude, translates over here to habits. What habits do you have in your life that indicate your passion for loving God and your passion for loving neighbor? Where does that show up? How does that show up? And then here's the fourth one. You know, when your children ask, remember that passage we read this morning? When your children ask, what about this? You're able to tell them, you're able, able to live in front of them in a way that it's passed on to someone else that what comes through in your life is love God and love neighbor. That's it. It's all yours this morning. It's not complicated. Will we obey? Will we do? Well, let's just make sure that we protect our spiritual identity, our wonderful heritage. It's not a big enough vision, folks. It won't sustain you. It won't sustain you. The Christian Chronicle came out recently showing that from the year 2000 until now, that 1,200 churches of Christ have shut their doors in 17 years in North America. Why? Because they didn't worship a cappella? Didn't say that. Because they didn't teach about baptism? Didn't say that. Why? Could it be that communities change, leadership change, crisis happens? There's lots of reasons. It's pretty complex. But the thing that I, we keep seeing over and over again in the work that I do, the work that we do in Hope Network is this. There is a lack of compelling vision and a lack of courageous leadership to move a church forward regardless of the conflict it may cause and the people that might leave. You say, I don't like that, preacher. We want everybody to be, I hope you say holy, but you're wanting to say happy. Let that sit. Just let it sit. Are you more interested in being happy than holy? 
God has called us to a much bigger vision than just being a good church. He wants us to be His church focused on His mission in our beliefs, our attitudes, our habits, and what we pass on to the next generation. 1,200 churches of Christ have shut down in North America, closed their doors, gone away since the year 2000 in North America. That's a lot because there's about between 11,500 and 12,000 churches. Who's a mathematician? What percentage is that? Roughly. About 10%. You satisfied? You satisfied with... 10% 10% lost, 10% lost, 10% lost. Do the math. How long will it take? Do we go, you know what happened to us? You want a preacher just to be nice? You want a preacher that doesn't challenge you? We're going to talk about that next week. So I take the pressure off of John. He can be nice. Sometimes, Lord, we remember... Who hurt us? How afraid we are. How much conflict it might cause. And then we realize, Lord, that to follow you is to follow someone who went all the way to the cross. Politics killed him. And God knew what was going on. God planned it. And thank God we have salvation in Jesus Christ. And all he wants is for us to follow this Jesus all the way to the end. Now if you fast forward in the Gospel of Mark to chapter 16, verse 8, what you're going to find in most of your Bibles from verse 9 through 20 is bracketed off with a little footnote in your study Bible that says, not included in the earliest manuscripts because the Gospel of Mark ends with his people afraid. If you give in to fear, no courage, no passion, no focus on what's always mattered to God. If you give in to fear, that's how it's going to end. The thing in my life that I've always wanted to be is I want Jesus, the words of Jesus, name above all names. I don't know how I'm going to die, but I know what I want. I want to see the face of Jesus right before I see him. And I want to be able to say the last words of my lips is Jesus, this side of heaven. And I want him to be able to say, well done. You got it. You grew up with it and you got it. Love God. Love neighbor. Beliefs, attitudes, habits, and what we pass on. If we can baptize you into Christ, why in the world are you waiting if you've never been baptized? It's a great life. It's a great adventure. It's a Jesus that that just takes you right where you need to be in your life and challenges you always and comforts you when you need to be comforted. He's a Jesus that will afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. May God bless you in your journey. I'm excited for you here at Lamar Avenue. I really am. 
But it's not just about the preacher, and we'll talk about that next week. Let's stand and sing.